As we continue this series on unity, it is critically important that we talk about the cost of unity. Most of the time, when the church chooses to talk about it, likely this time included, it is because we are either moving toward decisions that would inevitably divide, or because we're already experiencing the pains of division. In my church community growing up, unity could be more accurately described as agreement or alignment. It was a means of trying to end or silence conflict rather than to rectify the things that created disunity in the first place. It was inevitable in these conversations that the people with the loudest voices, the deepest pockets, the most religious platitudes, or most education shaped how conflict and division were managed. We had a hard time leaning into the ways that the way of Jesus in and of itself requires different things from different people to live in communities centered around him. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about the passage of scripture that most, primarily, most of us primarily recognize through Sunday school, the story of Zacchaeus. We find this story in Luke 19, but before we get there, let's look at the, how the author, Luke, in his biography of Jesus, situates this story in the narrative. In Luke 14 and 15, Jesus spends a lot of time hanging out with those people and inviting them to take center stage in the kingdom that he is bringing and embodying. These folks don't fit the traditional pictures of what it means to be religious. They're labeled in the text as tax collectors, sinners, sex workers, and Ill irreligious folks. As Jesus associates, and more specifically shares meals with them, the religious authority of the day begin to lobby critiques against Jesus. Luke 15, one and two says, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The traditionally religious see unity, or being one of them, as wrapped up in social identity, religious identity, and moral piety. They have strong lines defining who is in and who is out, but Jesus peripherates those lines. He responds to this judgment by telling three parables to religious leaders to express what he is about. These are the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. We often see these stories being used as evangelistic tools to tell sinners how much God loves, and yes, we can say that, but Jesus directs these stories to the religious elite. The reality is, the sinners don't need a story about how God is searching for them, they're already there following and listening. Jesus then starts with the parable of the lost sheep where a shepherd leaves 99 obedient and good sheep to search for the one that's lost. The story is fascinating because in a unity message, we might expect to focus on the hypothetical unity that comes when the one sheep is brought back to the 99. Instead, Jesus talks about the shepherd carrying the one sheep home with no further mention of the others. The story is about how the religious elite who see themselves as never lost find themselves left behind as the Christ figure goes out to those who are far off. Jesus is trying to expand the religious leader's view of who is in, but their religiosity and certainty seem to be getting in the way. The cost for the religious in moving toward unity is to loosen their grip on who fits into pure religion. It's to make space in their lives and ideology to joyfully, like Jesus, be among the outsider, the marginalized, and the oppressed. Now I imagine that the folks identified as sinners are enthusiastic about the choice that Jesus makes to spend time with them. In fact, we're told later that a crowd is following Jesus as he travels. Enter Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector and his job revolves around exploiting common people for the sake of the already wealthy Roman Empire. He's a political actor who has disenfranchised the already poor and wealthy alike, and as a result has become uber rich himself. And he is interested in Jesus. As Jesus and this large crowd pass through, Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see him. Jesus sees him and calls him down and effectively invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. They go together and Luke 19.7 tells us, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Get that. 
People who just chapters before were described as sinners finding someone they consider beneath them. And really, who can blame them? This is an enemy, an ethnic traitor, and a political other. So the one sheep that Jesus went after, this crowd, has now become the 99 people who see themselves as in and thus push others out. Notice that Jesus doesn't respond to them the same way he does the religious leaders. He doesn't respond to them in the text at all, but rather goes to Zacchaeus' house that was likely bought with their stolen money. And honestly, I wish we knew what happened in that house, but all we get is how Zacchaeus responds to whatever happens. Verses 8 to 10 cue us in. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus' immediate response to encountering Jesus is to practice reparations. He gives half of his possessions to the poor, and then he starts to make things right more personally. He not only gives back what he cheated people out of, but gives back multiple times the amount in seeming recognition of how deeply his actions disenfranchise the people. Some scholars say that he likely went totally broke responding in this way. This is a high cost to enter the community and to join in the journey of pursuing the kingdom of God. The cost is a recognition of every person he has harmed and a personal repayment. He seems to understand that for unity to happen, he needs to own his part in breaking community and marginalizing others. He has to rectify the impact of his oppression. Jesus responds to this by inviting him into the family of God, the historic family of Abraham, and claiming that salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. So even as we operate in the aftermath of the election in the last four years, really, we ought to be careful to rush into unity language. Unity isn't a trite or ideological thing, it's practical. We need to make repairs both interpersonally and systemically for what has happened over the last four years. Pursuing the unity that Jesus is bringing will require moral, social, financial, and political change. It will require the humility to own our role in division. Jesus isn't aiming for a community that simply invites conformity or assimilation and calls it unity. Rather, the aim is a diverse community of people from all walks and angles of life that pay different costs to join in the Jesus way together. For the wealthy, it means something significant about their money. For the religious, something about their moralism and legalism. For the marginalized and oppressed, it looks like abandoning ideologies that tempt them to act like the oppressors that Jesus frees them from. It is to find ways to interact with their oppressors as they repent, or for oppressors to actively challenge systems that buttress their oppression. The beginning of the Gospel of Luke opens with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her great poem, The Magnificat. This poem foreshadows everything Jesus will do in his ministry. He will bring the proud, wealthy, and full down and raise up the disenfranchised and marginalized. And this isn't framed as a punishment, but as a pathway to a community that looks more and more like Jesus in the shalom way that he is bringing. This is what God has invited people into since the beginning. This is a world where all have what they need. It is where people are invited to live in the complexity of all of their identities and to figure out the messiness of what it means to love God and to love people as God has loved them. Unity, then, is not a stagnant community that is formed, but rather a community of people going in the same direction, toward Jesus together. It is becoming a community that makes space for the messiness of an ever-expanding invitation to an ever-expanding community of people who pay different costs to follow Jesus. And this will mean conflict. It will mean becoming a community who can hear the ways that we individually and institutionally cause harm, and to do so without defensiveness. 
we must consider. Are we listening to those who we consider to be the other long enough to own our participation in their pain and exclusion? Will we loosen our grip on our theology and religious assumptions enough to hear and honor the experiences of others? Will we recognize the impulse to blame others for why there is disunity in the first place? And will we choose instead to hold up our lives to the way of God modeled in Jesus and ask where we need to take responsibility and even make things right, like Zacchaeus did, even if it costs us like it did for him everything we've built? And as we do so, will we trust that Jesus is on the journey with us, the collective us, moving all of us toward each other in an ever-expanding vision of how we are to be unified, a way that isn't marked by erasing each other and our pain, but by owning it, making things right, and moving forward together. We are not designed to grow spiritually, individually, or as a church community in isolation. It's impossible to advance a common unity in Christ without uniting with other humans. It's so easy in our current reality to cut ourselves off from the current available connection points because we're tired of screens, we're tired of quick division points based on this repeated rhetoric, and so we can just sort of slowly back away into isolation. But we can't just remove ourselves from the process of being in real relationships that stretch us in important ways. If we do, my fear is that we'll forget altogether how to do this and miss the point of one of Jesus' last commands to us here on earth. Brandy's message is an excellent reminder and a challenge for us to work hard toward reconciliation, healing, unity, and an expanding vision for who we are called to include in this discussion based on the many examples Jesus lived out for us in the flesh. And in a way, that was quite confusing and confounding even for the spiritual leaders of his time. We're not meant to do this exciting and challenging spiritual work in isolation. So I want to again strongly encourage you to sign up for a Rain City digital community and give yourself the opportunity to practice these things we learn today in everyday life. Sign up on the app, our website, or via the links in this video description. And if you're already in this kind of community and you have this life-giving relationship with others, thank God for it. As we close, I want you to start the conversation personally by journaling, discussing with your group, your digital community, your family and friends, or whomever you might be watching this with today by considering these three questions. First, how was conflict handled in your family of origin, your church growing up or your extended family, and what influence do you think it has on the way you live your life today? Second. Consider ways you may have contributed to disunity in the world this year. Are there existing relationships that deserve attention and an increased commitment to making them right again? Are there new relationships you need to explore to help expand your vision for building unity as we go forward? And thirdly, how can the way Jesus loved, included, and left the flock to go after the one lost sheep challenge you in the way that you will live this week. Let's allow these questions to challenge and shape us this week as we seek to become more and more like Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rain City Church Podcast. We love that our community exists for so many, not just in the greater Seattle area, but around the world. Please push subscribe and feel free to share our content. And for any more questions or to get more involved, check out our website at raincitychurch.com. We hope to see you at a Sunday soon.